When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Thank you for listening to the Mutual Audio Network. Please don't turn that dial. The following audio drama is rated G for general audiences. The Cupid Gang, Part 2. The crowd of men milling around the warehouse was beginning to grow impatient. There were 15 of them in all, and before the last meeting, two nights earlier, there had been twenty-two. The men were nervous, returning to a location that seemed to be known to crime's most feared enemy. But they represented the shallow end of the underworld's talent pool, and they were not overwhelmed by other invitations to earn a dishonest living. When the summons had arrived calling them back to work, they had each felt a lack of alternatives that trumped their natural cowardice. "'Where's Mike?' a tall, wiry man with a beard asked angrily. "'Where's Hank?' "'Hank ain't coming,' a man in a battered slouch hat replied. "'I saw him two hours ago, and he didn't know nothing about this meeting. "'Said we would daffy to come back to a place that the panda knows.' "'There was a low rumble that seemed to indicate agreement for most of the group. "'Same for Mike,' another man said in low, slow tones." I seen him on the way here, and he wasn't coming to any meeting he didn't call. The wiry man was angry now. Well, if Mike and Hank didn't call this meeting, then who did? He asked no one, and everyone at once. I did, a voice said from the old foreman's office high above. The assembly of would-be toughs craned their necks to see as the speaker stepped into the light. It was Jinx Kenny. Better dress than anyone had ever seen him, in a long black coat that almost hid his not inconsiderable bulk. He was almost unrecognizable as the fat man who had run so hard through the snow and muck just two nights earlier. What is this, a joke? the wiry man barked. I ain't taking orders from you, Jinx. That's right, you're not, the fat man agreed, walking down the stairs as he spoke. Ain't none of us supposed to be taking orders from nobody. We were supposed to be independent, like men ought to be. But that ain't how it turned out, is it? Everybody letting Hank and Mike boss this operation around like we was their gang. Kick our harder and boodle up to them like they did something to deserve it. It ain't right. But Jinx, an older man on the fringe of the group said in a nasal whine, they set up this whole job. Set up what exactly? Jinx said, stepping into the center of the group. Did they invent the protection rackets? They did not. Did they map out the spots that none of the big gangs was milking no more? They did not. And still, they won a piece of every score. The rumble of assembled voices raised its tone a few pitches, suggesting that it did not disagree. 
They set up the whole archangel routine, the old-timer said stubbornly. Sure, Jink said with an open gesture of his hands. They did that, and it wasn't a bad idea, was it? Folks hear a lot of things about this archangel guy, big Nazi bag man. They're more scared of him than a real gangster. But did we look the part? We did not. Did the Marks really believe we were what we said we were? They did not. Even the papers didn't believe it. They called us fakers. And was that good for collections? Mm, it was not, the old-timer agreed. And that's where these come in, Jinx said, with an expansive gesture toward his new black coat. My cousin Carmine scammed a whole rack of these, all matching. Should be one that fits every man here. And then we had one of these. The fat man rolled a yellow armband up his sleeve, one that aped the swastika-bearing armbands they had all seen in newsreels. But these were each adorned with a black letter A, embroidered in bold. The fat man paused for effect, and every one of the assembled crooks would have agreed that it made Jinx Kenny look more menacing than any of them would have thought possible. That's right, boys, Jinx said proudly. You can look this good. And once you throw a few bucks to my cousin Carmine for the threads, every dollar you squeeze belongs to you. We come together every few days, and if any of us got a problem customer what needs convincing, we take care of that together. Other than that, we are strictly independent. What do you say? But Jinx, the wiry man whined, what about the red panda? He knows his place and he rumbled us once already. Pfft, Jinx spat. That wasn't no red panda. There was a startled silence. But the laugh, the old timer wheezed. A bunch of lousy kids with a bullhorn, Jinx reassured them. And Hank and Mike let us get run off like idiots. Every man of us is here, except the ones too close to Mike and Hank. And they ain't here, cause I didn't ask them. Come on, fellas. If the Red Panda rumbled us, he would have got somebody. He got somebody, all right, said an accusing voice from the door. He got you, Jinx. Every man turned to see one of their missing company. It was the gunman from the other night, the one the flying squirrel had taken out of the picture. His arm was in a sling, and his face sported some swell bruises, but it was him right enough. You never had half an idea in your whole life, Jinx, the former gunman said gravely. And now, you got us matching outfits and armbands? You're running the show? Admit it, Jinx Kenny. The Red Panda got to you. A dozen guns were drawn in an instant, all of them ready to shoot down the fat man if he so much as moved. I had hoped this would go differently, said a voice from the rafters above. An illusion is more complete if the subjects believe it, but it hardly matters. A dozen pistols moved to cover the hole in space which the voice had come from. They found their target almost instantly, melting from the shadows high above, and yet... Not a single finger could tighten to pull off a shot. The gun arms shook in terror, and not a man spoke. It doesn't matter, the red panda called triumphantly. 
because my mind is in your mind. The gun arms dropped as one. Now, why don't you boys put on your coats and armbands, and we can get to work? The great empty space of the warehouse was filled with a roar of laughter. Baxter! The great voice bellowed over the din of the newsroom. Baxter, concern it, where is she? Something you need, Editor Pearlie? A bespectacled reporter asked, looking up from his typewriter. Yeah, Morris, Pearlie growled, his hands waving like a man who has lost his glasses, his wallet, and his keys, and doesn't know which one to look for first. I need Baxter. You seen her? Five foot whatever? Red-headed holy terror? Currently the bane of my existence? Anybody? I mean, if there's something I can help with, let me know, Morris said, drawing only a few eye rolls from the busy reporters around him. No thanks, kid. I got three more reports of this Archangel gang shaking down merchants in the downtown, and Baxter is currently purpling the prose for us. Pearly chewed on the end of a cigar that had not seen fire in many days, and might never survive to do so again if he didn't stop worrying it quite so badly. I mean, if Baxter isn't here, I can handle it, Chief, Morris shrugged modestly. Pearly made a face. You're a good man, Morris, but this isn't a city council briefing or parliamentary subcommittee. This is armband-wearing Nazi stooges walking our streets and taking money from Mom Pa Canuck to ship back to Crazy Adolf at his goose-stepping orchestra. I need somebody who isn't afraid to get their feet dirty. Morris adjusted his glasses. Hands, surely, he said. Pearly was exasperated. When I say feet, I mean feet! Grape-stomping! You know, when they make wine? I need somebody who can jump in with both feet and turn everything purple within an inch of its life and beyond all rhyme or reason. I don't think they actually make wine like that anymore, Chief, Morris said. But if you'd like, Pearly snorted outrageously, like, what I'd like is for someone to stop asking me fool questions and bring me back, sir, or at least her head on a platter. And here I thought you didn't care. Kip Baxter Fenwick replied at full voice as she stepped off the elevator, as if she never doubted that the conversation would be about her. Where in blazes have you been? Pearly roared at his best reporter. I'm here now, she sassed back without giving an inch. Do you care about that, or where I was? Because I don't have time for both. Don't give me any lip, just just take these latest reports and get them pounded into plowshares for the evening edition. Pearly handed off the yellow pads covered with near-indecipherable shorthand notes from three different reporters. A silk purse, Kit said. You want a silk purse from a sow's ear, not a sword into a plowshare. Or am I wrong? Don't tell me what I want, Baxter. Just give it to me in time for the evening edition. Pearly tried to seem cross, but couldn't hide the fact that he was pleased. They would sell some papers tonight, that was for sure. Seven nights later, the Red Panda leaned over a rooftop and watched an expanse of shops along Queen Street. The moon was bright against the newly fallen snow, and it made everything seem calm, even serene. The man in the mask knew better. He did not turn his head when he heard the surprisingly quiet scrape of static boots landing on the rooftop behind him, or the gentle whoosh of gliders retracting. He did smile, but he felt certain that no one could see it. You know I can tell when you're smiling by the way your ears move, she asked. 
He paused for a moment. She just might be bluffing. You're early, he said, because it was true. The flying squirrel shrugged. Somebody's got to keep an eye on you. He grimaced a little and wondered if she could tell that, too. He felt it best to assume that she could. Anything good on? she asked, stepping to the edge of the rooftop and leaning in close to him, like she used to do for a giddy thrill back in the days when it was verboten. He felt the hairs on the back of his neck stand at attention. In fact, there is. In the greengrocers. Any second now. The door to the greengrocers opened, and two of their stooges emerged, proudly parading in their trademark coats and armbands. They're getting more efficient every day, the squirrel admitted. Protection rackets are all about confidence, he nodded. Nothing helps with that quite like a nice hot cup of hypnosis. We are going to give back what they've taken when we're done, aren't we? She asked, as if thinking of it for the first time. I thought we'd give back double, he said, knowing she would not disapprove. And I thought we'd take a curtain call for that in the press, if someone can arrange it. She smiled. That ain't like you, boss, she said. He shrugged. I don't want the real Archangel taking credit when he takes the fake gang down. We don't need a Nazi Robin Hood. Speaking of the takedown, she asked, when does the blessed event take place? Tonight seemed appropriate, he said. She frowned. February 13th, she asked. He turned to her at last, and this time he really did smile. Not quite. After midnight. It's been nice to have a few evenings alone with you. I've taken to calling these idiots the Cupid Gang. She bit her bottom lip. We have the weirdest date nights, she whispered. He nodded and looked back down to the street. The pair from the phony Archangel Gang was coming out of a florist shop. I wasn't trying to do things myself because I objected to you working at the Chronicle, he admitted. I just didn't want you to stop because of me. She blinked. You wanted me to stop? she asked. No, he shook his head. Just the opposite. You clearly love it. I didn't want you to feel like you needed to give it up to watch my back every moment. You're so good at it, Kit. He waved his hand in front of his mask, as if presenting it to a crowd. This is the only thing that I was ever really good at. This, she said with a gesture that matched, is also the only thing you ever really tried, you know. This did not seem to have occurred to him. It's a fair point, he said with a nod. And just because I'm a newspaper reporter does not mean I am not also a masked terror of the underworld. I can be both. He nodded. And sometimes I can handle things by myself, if I am careful, which I am. <sighs> I grudgingly agree, she sighed. Good, he said. Good, she agreed. They looked back into the street. Their goons were piling into a car. So how does this happen? she asked. Word on the street is the real Archangel is insulted by our imposters. He put out a bounty on the location of our gang's headquarters, which they were conveniently careless with. The warehouse is full of knockout gas charges, but we should probably be on hand to make sure no one gets killed. She sighed. We aren't going to bag the real Archangel tonight, you know.
Maybe not, he admitted, turning back to her and getting slightly lost in her dark eyes. But maybe we get one step closer. Besides, the whole thing makes heck of a story, doesn't it? She nodded and grinned. It really does. Happy Valentine's Day, Gasworth. The same to you, my love, he said with perfect contentment. Now, let's go kick some Nazis in the pants. You have been listening to The Red Panda Chronicles number 6, The Cupid Gang, written by Greg Taylor and read by Clarissa Dunetta Landon and Greg Taylor for the Dakota Ring Theater Podcast. New content creation is powered by Patreon. Visit patreon.com slash g-r-e-g-g-t-a-y-l-o-r or look for the links in the show listing. Dakota Ring Theater, the sound of adventure. This is Jack Ward, and from every one of us here at the Mutual Audio Network, we wish you, your family, and all your friends safe harbor during these difficult times. Please follow the scientific and medical experts' advice, and we'll always be here for you daily at Mutual.